Hello, everyone. Uh, this is our first installment of the vlog, A Quest for the Good Life with Dr. Michael Strauss. Nice to meet you, Dr. Strauss. Hey, Eva. It's great to see you again, too. All right. So let's say a few words about what our vlog is going to touch on. Um, okay. What exactly is the quest for the good life? Well, it's it's actually uh, it's about kind of a never ending search for something better. And and, you know, what we're about, uh, Good Life Innovations is about is about how do we improve lives for people who need help to live independently? And, you know, all populations and, you know, we've found and we'll talk about it, but a lot of populations that need help to live independently have some of the same barriers. And uh, so this show or this series that we're going to be doing is just about a variety of different things about, you know, where we are, where we've been, where we are and, and kind of where we're going, because I, I, I think that quest is is not just, you know, trying to figure out where we're going, but kind of a, a little bit of a, a, a review of kind of where we've been and where we are so that people know the, the platform that we're departing from, you know. That's right. That's right. And obviously, we are conversing in a unique way right now. And this yeah. is where the world is right now. So we have some unique challenges. We've dealt with a lot of things in the last few decades, but this is unprecedented, and I'm pretty sure that uh, we'll have new barriers and new obstacles that we'll have to overcome. So how is the quest being affected by this entire situation? Yeah, you know, we are at an unprecedented, I mean, I, I don't think anything like this has occurred in my lifetime. I mean, I, you know, if I asked my parents or my grandparents when they were alive, I, I, they would have talked about tuberculosis. They would have talked about polio. They would have talked about, you know, uh, all the the country's efforts in the wars, you know, how people were kind of commandeered to do things differently and live differently. But this was probably one of the quickest onset and most pervasive things that I've ever been associated with. Uh, uh, but, you know, I'll tell you something, there will never be an old normal after what we've just experienced, I don't think. There's a, a couple of um, pretty obvious vulnerabilities that come with this uh, um, disease with COVID-19. One of them, obviously, is age. And the other one is pre-existing medical conditions. Um, exactly. And and we see these two vulnerabilities, they kind of cross-pollinate the populations that we are dealing with. So obviously, this is going to mm -hmm. affect largely the populations that we are providing services to. It, it has and it does. And, and it illustrates this. So right before coming here, um, I, I just uh, read, uh, you know, in New York, uh, there was an article about a, it, it was a congregate care program for, for that served uh, evidently a few dozen or dozens of people with intellectual disabilities in a, in a high rise. And, you know, it literally, I think 30 to 40 people have tested positive, you know, over a dozen are in the hospital and two have passed away. Um, these folks were intellectually uh, and developmentally disabled, but they also had medical 
challenges. And it made a big point. Uh, two things is, 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 you know, facilities like that are incredibly challenging. Uh, and our population, but it's not the only one, but our population is disproportionately uh, affected. And I'm interested, you know, in what what people are going to take away from all of this with respect to how care is provided, or at least I hope that we use this as a a focal point for how we re-examine, you know, examine that in all ways. So we're looking at an unprecedented situation that is going to cause a massive paradigm shift in the way services are delivered. Um, obviously, congregate care, within the very definition, congregate care, we already have a word that doesn't uh, doesn't apply to the new the new uh, normal anymore. Congress. No, you know that's the most fat, and and we've experienced that as you know for people with intellectual disabilities, and we can get in that in a minute. But but I think it's interesting, if not incredibly um, sad in a way that the most basic thing that the CDC has recommended, most caregivers can't even do. The, and that is don't congregate, stay at home in small numbers. You know, all the stuff that you're hearing about the washing of hands, of course, and the protections, all those things are really important, but nothing can be more effective than having fewer people together. The first thing that we talked about was what? Social distancing, right? Yes. And and staying away from sick people. Okay, you know, we just common Americans are staying at home with our family and in a in a home and small and separate and we're not supposed to go outside and we everything's controlled and social distancing and but the people that we that are the most vulnerable are still going to clinics, they're going to to facilities, assisted living facilities, group homes. It's just incredible that our care system can't even comply with the simplest request the CDC has made. Don't congregate. Don't do it. Yeah, And, and, and it's by design. And, and, and you know, uh, and maybe we didn't foresee all of this, but, you know, in, in intellectual disabilities, this, this happened a long time ago in terms of what we should have known. For example, in the 70s, institution, public institutions were their zenith. There was over... 200,000 people in public institutions in, in the in the 70s. That was at the zenith. And, and, and you know what? There were serious problems of care. National, you know, landmark lawsuits, uh, media, uh, Geraldo Rivera and Willowbrook, and, uh, you know, example after example about how that was a, a focal point, which then led to community services, smaller, smaller, more individualized, you know, and that's been decades in the process. Yes. Uh, institutions, by the way, still exist. They're smaller, they're smaller, but there's still too many of them. Uh, and the people who have the most fra fragile conditions are there. Uh, and so, you know, but, but that's kind of like, we went through all of that and it wasn't just the viruses that was the reason they, they, they went away. 
It was the fact that you just couldn't deliver care in them that was in any way uh, uh, appropriate. Now, you know, you have seniors and other populations that are going through the same thing that we learned three decades ago to not do. But you have assisted living facilities, you have nursing homes and these things. And, and what you find when you look at that is you see like a design that makes it impossible to deliver care in a safe way. And so, you know, by the very design, you're having this economy of a scale of, of a facility that involves going from room to room, person to person, in a way that just transmits this. Uh, and, and that's just the, the virus side of it. We already know that that's, that's no way to get vested in care. I mean, when you have that many people that you have to being responsible for, for whether you're cooking food or you're giving medicine or whatever, you can't really know them. You can't know anything really about them. Yeah. So there was, more, I, I think the virus has highlighted all of those things. It's going to put the spotlight on the fear. We have all this stuff about access for care. You know, access is a two way, two way street. I mean, and who wants congregate care anymore? The design of the system. Mm -hmm. is all about congregate care because they believe that that's the way that you deliver care cost effectively. They, I mean, we're trying to make it affordable, right? We now have the mechanisms that uh, we can use, the technology that we can use to make that massive paradigm shift in uh, service delivery. Here's what really happens. When you're in a situation like we were and you're trying to keep the spread of this disease or virus from room to room to room what happens is isolation the only way you're going to prevent this from happening in congregate care programs is being by yourself your liberties are gone so you know i think the i hope the lesson learned is the first thing that they tell you to not do then we actually don't do it let's let's not congregate let's not have congregate programs. What does that mean? We have to build a care system that can get the most out of what technology has to offer. We can't just slap iPads onto a traditional care system and think that's going to change anything. The problem is, I think, in, when you had care defined in congregate care, it was about how do we make care affordable? And in the absence of technology, I'll say, in the absence of what we what's possible now, maybe that was a good way and affordable way to deliver care. But now, if we reinvented care, what we have available to us, if we reinvented our goals, our vision for it, and in my mind, at least, this is, you know, of course, this is, you know, good life's vision, is we want care to be delivered at the moment and place of need. The moment and place of need. If you look at the real innovations of the world, if you look at, like, paradigm shifts, it, they weren't encumbered by the traditional. The ones that have been encumbered by their infrastructure haven't changed. And that's why I believe that, you know, you're not going to just 
willingly get clinics and assisted living and the current senior infrastructure or IDD infrastructure for that matter to just pivot when they have millions of investments in what they have. Examples like Amazon or uh, Netflix or all of these kinds of, 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 of companies. So you can see how all of this technology is changing the face of this, whether it's Amazon or any of those kinds of things. And, and so my, my point is these things are difficult and they're diverse and there's a thousands apps for that. There's a thousand apps for that. And as soon as you, you give training to one, guess what? That app's going to change. And a person with intellectual disabilities, a senior, that's not what we're looking for here. We're looking for how do you, how do you, you leverage technology to deliver services? Amazon isn't an app. It's a new way to deliver goods. You didn't put an electric car in a 58 Ford. You built, Tesla built, you know, a complete new thing, right? That's right. So we have to, uh, in, in our space, in, in good life space, where we're trying to help people live more independently and leverage technology as best we can to, to create new ways of delivering support at the moment of need, never forget that that means to us that, that, uh, that we're not expecting our customers to have 50,000 apps they migrate or have to be trained every time that something changes, there's no way that would work. It's, it's about us who has the technology. We should be the ones that's integrating all this and doing the heavy lifting and making sure that, you know, that, that, that the customer, you know, has a way to either self-direct it or ask for it, but they don't have to understand it. They just have to benefit from it. Good Life's been doing this for a long time. I mean, you know, we've been in business for many, many years, and we have been working with smart home technology, for example, since 2000. I think we're the nation's longest demonstration of smart home technology for intellectual disabilities, and now we're moving towards aging space. But you're going to hear a whole lot about that, because that's really the passion is, is how do you develop service models that leverage technology in such a way as the customer can really benefit from it, but without having to know how it works, you know, that that's really, that's what we're all about. And so in the next several, you know, sessions, we're going to be cutting up little parts of our program and talking about, you know, iLink remote support technologies or our neighborhood network or our FYI cards or other kinds of things that we've designed that make complicated things simple. And that's what it's about. At the end of the day, their supports has got to be safe and it's got to be trusted. But that is good life space. Our space is how do you how do you provide a better life for people? And we know we have known for a long time that technology is critical in it. But we also have known for a long time you just don't bolt technology onto stuff and think it's going to work. You you reinvent how care is delivered. And I think that's what I think that's what we've done.